Welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. I uh, am a little bit excited today uh, about our podcast. I uh, would like to introduce to you a friend and really, I think I could say a mentor of mine in many ways during my uh, undergrad, uh, Dr. Royce Short. Uh, is going to be joining us today. He uh, holds his PhD in Old Testament interpretation. He was uh, dean of the School of Religion at Bob Jones University, slash admin, slash teacher, slash all of those things since 1999. Uh, Before that, he pastored Kaysville Bible Church in uh, Utah uh, since uh, 1982 is when he started that. And since uh, retiring in 2018, Dr. Short has returned to Utah to uh, Kaysville uh, Bible Church. And uh, Dr. Short, I am uh, so glad and excited to have you on today. Uh, thanks, John, for uh, for having me. It's it's great to great to be able to talk about uh, the most important subject in the world. Hmm. Well, before we begin today, uh, what I, I did want to maybe give just um, just a couple of extra thoughts here. Um, even though you were uh, at an academic institution, a dean there, one of the things that I uh, always observed and was impressed and grateful for was just your pastoral heart that I think came out in everything that you did. Uh, and I'm, I'm genuinely grateful for your example in that area. It's benefited me uh, in ministry, not just uh, what I did learn from you uh, while I was at school there, but also just the the phone calls, email conversations that we've had uh, together since we've come out here to plant Crossview Church. You know, you've been someone uh, that that I've uh, semi kept in touch with, and appreciate your uh, example and uh, pastoral heart that uh, that you've had uh, with me, and I know many others as well. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate your uh, your kind words. The, the the pastorate is fun, and I know a lot of people would say. Wait a minute, fun and pastorate, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> they don't belong in the same sentence, but really it is fun to, to see people yeah. saved and to see them grow yeah. in the Lord and uh, to, to see the Bible take a root in their individual life and their family life. Mm. Uh, that's that's just really exciting. It doesn't doesn't get much better this side of eternity. Yeah, and one of the things that we are doing as a church in, in light of uh, that investing in, in souls and in people's hearts is... Uh, as, as you know, and we've been talking about, we have uh, begun a men's theology study. Uh, we're going through a systematic theology, uh, roughly 20 pages or so at a time, and we meet once every couple of weeks, discuss it together, spend some time in prayer. We actually had our first meeting a couple of weeks ago, and this coming Saturday is going to be our uh, our second meeting together. It's kind of a hefty book, uh, weighing in at 900 or so pages. Uh, and so I wanted to discuss a little bit the role of theology in the life of the believer today. You know, we live in a culture where many people kind of just want to casually dismiss theology, you know, and say maybe, you know, we believe in Jesus, so that's all that matters. Uh, But I want to maybe dive in, talk a little bit about the importance of studying theology uh, and even systematic theology like we're doing, uh, which, you know, has a little bit more... um, of an academic nature to it, but I want to talk about kind of the importance of that today. So maybe we'll just start with a simple question for you. Why study theology? Why, why even try to do that in any sense? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great um, 
base statement to begin with or base question because it kind of deals with, you know, our typical American mind that's always talking about return on investment. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong with being pragmatic and saying, in one sense, what am I going to get out of something? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really, you know, God has, I think we could say, answered that question uh, in, in multiple ways when we, when we study the Bible. Uh, he, he shows us how, wow, the return on investment is more than, than we could have imagined. And, and, and there are probably at least what I would call six key, key areas or key things to think about. Um, I mean, one of them is simply, you know, absolute knowledge. There, there is such a thing as absolute truth. And therefore, we as believers, we need to know what, what is absolute truth. What are, what are God's thoughts? What, yeah. What does God say is the way he's built the system? Um, there's, you know, an area we might call just a discerning mind uh, with so much stuff blowing in the wind out there, so much error mm-hmm. that we are bombarded with on a daily basis, and we're not even aware of it because we just hear it. People take it for granted so much that, you know, whether they're on a media source, whatever it is, they're, they're just making these crazy statements, and we hear them all the time, and before long, we can believe that's true because we heard it mm-hmm. so many so many times. And so we, we need a, a discerning mind, you know, so we can tell the truth or, or know the truth between sure. uh, a counterfeit $20 bill and the, and the genuine bill. Mm-hmm. And, and the way to know the difference really is not to study all the counterfeits, it's to study the genuine bill, and so when that counterfeit comes along, it's like, oh yeah, that's that's very definitely uh, error. It doesn't line up with what what I know God has revealed. Sure. Um, you know, another another area would be just in in we might say deeper spirituality, where um, you know everybody talks about their subjective experiences and well, I experienced this. Uh, well, uh, I mean that's that's true. We're all human beings. We have experiences. But which, but of the experiences we have, which ones are are genuine or truthful, and which ones really are uh, spurious? Which which ones are are false? They're they're not true. I can't live my life and make decisions on the basis of supposedly what I experience and say, well, that's good enough. So interpreting my experience in light of Scripture instead of Scripture in light of my experience would that be a fair exactly. way of saying that? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's really a big deal today when, you know, everything is about I, me, my, mine, and I experienced this, so who are you to tell me it wasn't real? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not a matter of I'm going to debate you, you know, me versus you. It's a matter of what has God said. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have this subjective control, which, I mean, we have this objective control, which is outside of ourselves that serves as that, as that touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, a fourth a fourth reason would be um, we might just call it higher morality, um, because God does have a right to tell me what to believe as well as what as well as how to behave, mm-hmm. and so therefore I need to know um, what what God is expecting of me as a person, and and most explicitly now that I'm a believer. Uh, he has the right to tell me exactly how I should live. And, I mean, we see that all through the, the, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as God dealt with people. It wasn't enough to have a head religion and just talk about, 
here are some really neat theological facts that you should know, so next time you play a trivia game, you'll be the winner. <laughs> um, it, it was a matter of your head knowledge has to translate to a godly lifestyle. Sure. And um, there, there are a lot of ways in the Old Testament and New Testament that, that um, we see God trying to, to drive that home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say a fifth, act, uh, a fifth reason here why, why a study of theology is so important is is simply so I know how to uh, express my faith evangelistically. Hmm. You know, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you seem to be different than me, and what's the difference? And, and all you can say is, well, I know Jesus. Hmm. Well, what what difference does Jesus make in my life? Well, I know Jesus, so if you had Jesus, that would be good <laughs> for you too. Um, I mean, you know, we, we need to, to be able to express evangelistically what we believe mm-hmm. so people know why our system is is superior, why it's mm-hmm. different than, than all other uh, false religions, all other cult groups. Mm-hmm. And and then just, you know, ultimately as well, uh, Christian service. Uh, by knowing doctrine, it, it can equip me to minister to other people because I can have an understanding of, of some of their needs because I can see why they're struggling with certain issues. Mm-hmm. I can I can know God's answer to certain problems people face, and so I don't just tell them, you know, be filled and warmed and hope you have a good day, but I can actually do something that God says is helpful to somebody who is in that particular situation, mm-hmm. whether it's maybe, you know, loss of a loved one, maybe it's loss of a job, maybe it's marital difficulties, Maybe it's problems with a stray child, um, you know. You name it. All the all the stuff that that makes up our daily lives. There there are Bible answers for it, and by knowing doctrine, it, it enables me to be a better servant. Yeah. So studying theology then not only impacts me, but it has an impact on others in the local church as well as the community. Uh, as exactly. I, as I know that you know that's one of the things we've um, talked about as a church here is. Uh, in the area of our Bible reading, and I know you are a uh, big proponent of reading through the Bible in a year, which we're doing as a church here, Um, but uh, that's one of the the additional plugs that we uh, talked about is we read our Bible not just for myself, although yes, that is aspect of it, but we also read it because it gives us the ability to minister to others more effectively and to love them uh, as Christ has loved the church as well. So there's that impact on myself, but impact on others as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. What uh, I'd like to maybe ask you your response here. I'm going to read to you uh, a quote that um, is, I think, fairly uh, well-known. A.W. Tozer, his his book, Knowledge of the Holy, uh, he, he opens up the book uh, in the introduction, and there's this one line that he says, uh, he says this, he says, quote, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. Uh, maybe respond to that a little bit in light of what you've already shared as far as why we should study theology. Uh, is that where the church is today too? And, and maybe it would be helpful to say, you know, the church broadly speaking, uh, the church in America, is that true that the church has surrendered her lofty concept of God? and perhaps maybe talk a little bit about how theology uh, restores that. Um, yeah, I, I think probably, you know, it's, it, 
a person can always paint with just huge broad strokes that that give no meaning to the the painting sure. the canvas if you will but but I think by and large he he probably is correct mm-hmm. um because we have you know watered watered got down so much that basically the term god can can mean about anything somebody wants it to mean mm-hmm. and um you know, people People basically, and, and I realize a lot of people aren't going to say it maybe quite this explicitly because they would figure, well, it is almost blasphemous and I don't want to get struck by a lightning stroke <laughs> out in the storm. But, but, but you know, every, everybody wants a God who has few commands. You know, we don't want sure. a God who, who tells us how to live our daily life. Sure. Um, you know, people, people want a God who's, who walks around with a rubber stamp yeah. so that whatever my whims are, God, you know, says, well, maybe I wouldn't do it that way, but if you want to do it, yeah, I can, I can sure. sign off on this. I can rubber stamp it. Hmm. Um, you know, people, people want a God, you might say, who's almost like Santa Claus. Sure. Uh, you know, that he's, he's just a jolly creature, and, and basically he's going to give you what you want, whether you've been naughty or nice, even yeah. though he threatens otherwise. Um, and and th- those are all just, you know, terrible views of God. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a book that I've really, really enjoyed through the years, and it's a it's a simple read. Uh, it's by J. B. Phillips, the the one who did the Phillips uh, paraphrases of the Bible and so forth. Okay, and he he wrote this book called "Your God Is Too Small," hmm. which is really a, a real classic statement on a lot of these caricatures that we have of God, where we try and create God in our image. Yeah, and and through the first half of the book, it's uh, what he simply calls negative, and he says, you know, okay, here are some of our pictures that we paint of God, and then we basically try and shoot God down and say, yeah, what a lousy God he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Phillips, in effect, is saying, well, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't want a God like that either, because he couldn't meet my daily needs. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half of the book, he turns it around and he says, but, but what is, is the real God like as he's revealed himself? And his whole point then, as he as he brings it all to a conclusion, is that when we see this real God as He reveals Himself, He really is big enough to meet all of our needs. Hmm. And and that's where people, as much as they don't like to study doctrine because you've got to do brain sweating to do it, that's the kind of God they're looking for. They they really do want a God who is a God of of love, a God of justice. Uh, a God of righteousness, a God who cares, a God who's in control, a God who can do something about about all these daily problems. But when we try and and make God in our own image, it's going to blow up in our face every time. And, it, and, and we're going to say, well, that God that I'm thinking of can't meet my need today, so why would I need God? Sure. And, you know, we might say, well, well, duh, you're exactly right. Your caricature of God will never do for you what needs to be done. But if you study the Bible, if you're willing to study doctrine, you really are going to see this great God, and you're going to be overwhelmed with this God with whom you have to do, who really can meet your every need right down here on the on the carpet on a daily basis. Mm. And um, and and that's that's so important for people to study today. But that's a, that's a stumbling block to get them over it because we the world just tells us so much, you know. Well. Oh, you know this, this this God word is, you know, it's just a three-letter word, but there's really nobody out there that can do anything to you, and and wow, uh, God wants to to display Himself. He's revealed Himself, 
so that we can know this this great God that can really help us. Sure. It reminds me of Psalm uh, 50, verse 21, where God says, you thought that I was like you. Uh, and mm-hmm. then he goes on to, but now I rebuke you and, and lay the charge before you. And so the, the view of God, view of self, having the right view of who God is, right view of, of who I am, and as you've already mentioned, uh, that comes from the, the right theology, having the good theology mm-hmm. um, in the beginning. You did mention a minute ago, uh, you used the, the, the phrase uh, brain sweat, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to, to go on. It prompted me to think of uh, what Tozer writes a little bit later in his introduction. He says, apparently not many Christians will wade through hundreds of pages of heavy religious matter requiring sustained concentration. Um, and we certainly could talk about, I think, the effect of the social media and the smartphone. While they may be good tools, you know, our minds are used to digesting things in small, uh, you know, tidbits, and we're not used to going through heavy pages. So maybe talk a minute, you know, the, the particular study we're doing is is around 900 pages or so. Um, should we study something that long, or should we only just study the small snippet type things? Mm-hmm. No, I I, um, I admire you for, for undertaking a challenge like that and for uh, whether you threaten your people or twist their <laughs> arms or uh, or hold out a carrot at the end. Uh, I, I admire you for, for even attempting it but be, because this is this is great. And, um, you know, I mean, there's there's no redeeming value in studying a long book just for the purpose of saying, sure. you know, well, my theology book is thicker than yours. And I know that <laughs> that's not the purpose sure. that you're that you're doing it. But um, but, you know, by by being big, shall we say, in one sense, uh, hopefully that means it is it is comprehensive in mm-hmm. the sense that that it's not just hitting, um, shall we say, hot topics where the writer says, my publisher says I need to have a book on the market real soon, and so I need to just hit the hot topics because sure. nobody's going to buy this book unless it's, mm-hmm. it has a, a real contemporary feel to it. So it should be comprehensive. It, sure. it probably means that, that it's going to list various views because, you know, the more you study theology, the more you realize, as I, as I said a moment ago, the, the greatness of God, that we cannot put God uh, in our pocket. We can't confine him to our our office space or anything of the sort. He is so great. And the more I study him, the more I am just overwhelmed with the greatness of God. And as I study theology books, I begin to realize how some of the greatest minds for thousands of years have mm-hmm. grappled with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And and yet there's going to be some disagreement, not that in, in some areas, not that one is right and the other is, is wrong. It's a matter of God is so great Mm-hmm. But they they both are are correct. They've both just kind of gotten off into a, a little corner that nobody had really explored before. Mm-hmm. And and of course, by by being big, it probably means that um, uh, you know there are going to be ex- extensive Bible verses given to the the, mm-hmm. the reader. So it's not a matter of a propositional statement is just made saying God is like this. But it's oh well, how does the Bible develop that? And so. Mm-hmm. You know, these massive theology books will oftentimes then go to the key passages and do some exegesis and show the reader why Christians have come to the conclusion that, that they have come to. I, I know that there are, are um, theology books that will, will have um, 
sections in them that deal with like key attacks on the doctrine. Sure. So that they will say, you know, this is what Christians have believed, and here is how throughout history unbelievers sure. have tried to attack this doctrine. Mm-hmm. And somewhat tying in with that, you know, there are there are theology books that will um, you know, maybe list cults who err on that particular area because there are key there are key doctrines where that's one of the ways you can you can should we say pretty much be assured um, that, that a, a group is a cult group because they err in in such a key area. Sure. And theology books will maybe have you know um, um, appendix an appendix to that chapter dealing with mm-hmm. with a particular cult group or how cults have just really slaughtered this doctrine. So so I mean generally speaking. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that a thick theology book is just repetitious and poorly written. You know, the author could have said what he said in half the space. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it means this is just solid material, and sure. it is just exposing me to the, the greatness of, of the subject matter. How would you deal with um, just general objections? Um, you know, maybe one would be, you know, well, I'll forget most of what I read. Um, mm-hmm. or theology is dry and boring. You know, how would you um, talk about those things? Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, for for one, where somebody says I'll forget it, I'll I, I would simply say, in my profound intellectual <laughs> way of looking at it, I would say, duh, join the club. I mean, you know, that's that's true in any academic sure. study, but that but that doesn't keep us from studying other things. Sure. And you know, I I kind of think of it like if 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 a, a child came home from school and was flunking math or science or history and the parents got on him and said, son, daughter, what, what is going on? And the child said, uh, hey, dad, a lot of these historical facts I'm going to forget anyhow, so I don't want to waste my time as a little kid learning them. Hopefully mom and dad wouldn't be doing cartwheels in the living room you know, out of joy and say, son, I, I love your honesty here. This is amazing, the insight you have. They would they would say, of course you're going to forget a lot of this, but it's foundational, right. and and it, you'll you'll build on it, and as you keep reading and studying this stuff, uh, it'll 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 get through to you, hmm. and you know, kind of like we said before, I mean, the the devil is consistently bombarding us with error, mm-hmm. and so that means that we need to continually be filling sure. our mind with the truth. Yep. Um, so uh, maybe I should say I don't have much. Uh, much good to say about somebody who simply says, you know, I'll, I'll forget it, uh, mm-hmm. so why do it? Um, you know, theology is dry and boring. I, I usually have said through the years when somebody tells me that, I'll usually apologize to start, and I'll say, you know what, I'm sorry if a pastor or a, a teacher has, has made it dry or boring sure. because the problem is with the instructor, the problem mm-hmm. is not with the subject content. Yeah. Um, because really, theology is, you know, uh, I mean, it is living, it's alive, it's it's the, the most basic stuff that I could grapple with on a daily basis. Um, you know, pe- people might say, well, you know, theology is, is meant for seminarians, or it's meant for somebody who goes to a Bible college, but I'm just average Joe layperson, it's not for me. And, and in reality, that that is, again, and I'm sorry, because I think maybe... As as religious leaders, if you will, we have given people that impression, but that is totally wrong, because theology is for everybody. Theology deals with 
the stuff of every day in, in every area. Hmm. Um, in, in fact, an, another interesting book title, um, there, there's a theology book on the market uh, simply titled Everyone's a Theologian. Hmm. And, and the writer makes the point, and, and at the very beginning, and this is a book on systematic theology, and he's very true, he's, he's right on when he says it, everybody is a theologian because everybody has God thoughts. Yeah. And so the question is not, am I going to be a theologian or a layperson? The question is, am I going to be a good theologian yeah. or a bad theologian? Yeah. Am I going to fill my mind with truth, or am I going to let error fill my mind? Yeah. And, and, you know, people would say, well, you know, how, how can this kind of thing be? But well, when I think of theology, I like to think of it kind of like as a pyramid, where you have these this layer, and, and each each layer ties together, but it builds really on the previous layer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as I'm sure in, in this theology book you're, you're using, and theologians will, you know, lay it out just a, a little bit differently, but, but, but I, I like to build the Ten Doctrines where you have the, the ultimate base is simply bibliology, the doctrine right. of the Word of God. How do we know anything that we know? Even how, how do we know about God? Because, you know, usually theology books will start with God, but, but how do we even know about God? We only know for sure what God is like by what God has revealed in the Bible. So I like to start right. with bibliology, and then the next step up, if you will, in the pyramid is theology proper. Then we go to the doctrine of Christ on top of that. Then we go to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and the reason we're building there is because the, the whole basis for our theology is this triune God. Mm-hmm. And then the next most important subject really is the anthropology, the doctrine of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, is, who is man? Who, who is this, uh, what appears to be the most exalted of anything that's been created? And then, of course, we move to the doctrine of sin, homartiology, uh, because we look at this this great creature, if you will, but we say he has so many flaws. How did he get that way? Was he mm-hmm. made that way? Well, no, he sinned. Uh, then we move immediately to soteriology, salvation. Look how God, in his grace, has acted in order to restore this fallen creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we move to uh, doctrine number eight, which is the doctrine of the church. When God saves people, he puts them into his family, makes them a member of the body of Christ. And then I usually, the next doctrine is the doctrine of the spirit world, angelology, both good good spirits and bad spirits, and this includes the discussion of, of Satan himself. And then you top it off with, of course, eschatology, mm-hmm. uh, the doctrine of last things. How is, how is it all going to end? And I mean, you know, just when you're standing in line in a grocery store, people people are making theological statements yeah. about these these very kinds of of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you think of you know the the hot topics of the day. You have like abortion, mm-hmm. you know, police shootings, the climate change, all these gender issues with same sex mm-hmm. marriage and transgender stuff and creation evolution. I mean, when people start start expounding or blabbering on those subjects, they are telling you their theology, because they are telling you whether they are having God's thoughts about ultimate reality or whether it is their vain, subjective view on something because of some experience they've had. And and that's why when when, people understand um, just how, how comprehensive theology is and how down on the carpet it is, 
that's when it can get exciting, and you say, I need to know more of this, because I want to have God's thoughts in every one of these areas. So how does that, so when you say kind of bringing it down to this carpet level, you know, how does that, someone might say, you know, theology just doesn't relate to real life, and you're explaining some of those things, but how does how does study of theology relate to or benefit, you know, my family, my children, my spouse, my church, my community? Um, where where are some of those additional areas where it maybe touches, as you've put, this carpet level or this this kind of real-life level? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's start the, the closest uh, place of our influence, the you know, the home, the family, children, spouse. Um, I, I would say there, there are multiple levels here where, where it is so important for us. Uh, one of them would simply be because if I am the, the leader in the family, and, and I should be as the man in the family, but the, the mom in the family, the lady, is, it's really the same with her. Um, we need to make wise choices so we don't lead our children off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we need to constantly be be telling them, well, well, yeah, this this road might look rosy and and it might look paved, and the way I'm telling you to go might seem like it has a few ruts in it and it's sort of dark, but I guarantee you this this latter way is the right way to go because. There is a purpose why there are ruts in that road, and mm-hmm. there, there is a reason why the sun isn't always shining on that road. Mm-hmm. So, so I just need to, to, to make wise choices and teach them these wise choices. Um, tied in with that would simply be, uh, you know, to, to instruct them. And, and I think here of, of ultimately like the book of Proverbs, where so many times over the writer says, my son, listen to your dad, sit up and hear what your mom is telling you. And then, basically, the rest of the, that chapter or that paragraph will, will give, like, a, a positive reason. Here is the reason why you need to sit up and listen, because, you know, I've, I've been on this road before, and God has taught me, and so I know some problem areas. Uh, you need to know this simply because it is truth, and that's why it's more valuable than gold and silver. That's why you're willing to sacrifice material things to know what is right. Other other times it will be a very negative paragraph where he will say, son, listen to your dad and mom, because we are trying to keep you from that, uh, you know, as, as the, the writer there calls it, the strange woman, mm-hmm. this, this uh, anti-wisdom, which is trying to destroy your life. And she's going to hold out in front of you things that are going to be very, very alluring. But they, but they actually are going to destroy you. They're going to ruin your mind. They're going to ruin your body. They're going to going to cause consequences in your life that you will have to live with for the rest of your earthly life. And so, so as a parent, the more I'm, I'm knowing theology and knowing this stuff, the more I'm able to, to lead those who are under my care. Sure. And then, I mean, uh, that, that, that translates as well just to, to my own example. Because, you know, like we know as, as parents or as grandparents, we can't just tell somebody, listen to what I say, but don't watch my lifestyle mm. and do what I do. Mm. It's very important for me to say, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, I want you to follow this path and look at your dad, look at your mom, look at your grampy and your Grammy. Yeah. They're trying to do this too, and look how God honors those who mm. honor his word. Mm. So, so yeah, right in the home, and, and then in the church. Um, naturally, when, when you think of uh, you know, uh, uh, in the church and, and leadership, you think of the teacher or the leader 
and how important it is for for those who are in those positions to be passing on this biblical truth, this this real reality to the next generation. And you know, you think you think of like the Apostle Paul from you know all indications, the last three letters that he wrote that we still have are the, the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And wow, those are incredible short letters where the emphasis is on sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and and it's it's neat to study the words he uses there because when he talks about error, he he, he talks about uh, cancerous doctrine, hmm. doctrine that will destroy you just like cancer does. Hmm. And you know, you think of somebody going to a doctor uh, who's not feeling well and you know, that the doctor comes back in the room and say, well, we've done the test, and uh, I, I just want to tell you I'm sorry, but everything shows that you have cancer. Hmm. And I seriously doubt somebody's going to be sitting there and say, wow, this is really great. You mean I have this thing that's eating away my body and destroying the good, <laughs> and it's going to cut my life short? Hmm. It's, wow, we hear that C word, that cancer word, yeah. and naturally we're scared because we say, it's destructive. It tears mm-hmm. down. It, it gets rid of what is healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is in the church. If we're not teaching healthy doctrine, sound doctrine, we're actually teaching people cancerous stuff. Mm-hmm. We're teaching them yeah. things that are going to destroy them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's just so important that, that new converts are hearing the truth. And again, the exemplary part where they're seeing in church leaders people who are living out the, the truth, who, who, who really are mm-hmm. putting it into action on a daily yeah. basis as an employer, fellow employee, etc. Mm. And then you think of your, of your community. Uh, I mean, that's really important because hopefully, um, you know, Christians will be making wise choices that will benefit their community. Uh, I mean, you know, on the one hand, people don't want... Christians to to have too much of a voice in their community, it's like, well, don't jam your stuff down my throat. Mm. But in reality, they, you know, I, I I would know I would would venture to say there aren't any communities in America that say we want a terrible environment to live in and we want a terrible environment to raise our children. Sure. I mean, they want they want laws, they want police protection, they want justice, mm-hmm. they want community standards so that they can trust their children to walk to the local grocery store or fast food place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they want rules so people can't just come and vandalize their property. Yeah. And and hopefully believers of all people can be setting a high standard mm-hmm. and say, you know, it's not just a matter of we ought to have this rule. But here is basis behind this rule, and it's not like every time, as a believer, we, we we take a stand on something, we need to be citing, you know, 12 different Bible references that prove our point. But we can just logically, because we know those Bible verses, and we know what God is teaching in those verses, we can just present it logically, and, you know, don't we want a community where there is righteousness? Well, of course we do, and of course we could we could give Bible verses that talk about God's righteousness and 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 here's where we're coming from. But but we're just making simple statement that though is true, and that people really have a yearning for. Even an unsaved person wants righteousness, mm-hmm. and and so as we as we try and help our community in these areas, we are we are really shall we say bringing theology to bear on our street corners. 
without always telling everybody. And the reason I said this is because I'm a Christian and and you're not, so I'm going to jam it down your throat. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody's worldview is going to prevail in our community. So mm-hmm. do we want yeah. the devil's worldview to prevail, right. or do we want do we want a biblical worldview to prevail? Right. right. Yeah. What talk, talk a little bit for a moment here. Um, in 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 the systematic theology we're looking through, uh, biblical doctrine, um, the uh, the authors write on page thirty seven says this: the mind shapes the affections, which shape the will, which directs the actions. Theology is not fully finished until it has warmed the heart or the affections and prompted the volition or the will to act in obedience to its content. And so we're talking, you know, how theology benefits family, benefits, you know, my children, my spouse, my church, my community, but there's also uh, a stirring that it should do in my soul as well. Um, and and the, the statement here specifically mentions the heart or the affections in the volition or the will. Most of us understand probably... I think, and you've kind of mentioned this, you know, theology should prompt us to obedience. It should prompt us to responding to the truth that we see with uh, obeying and, you know, uh, ministering those things to our spouses, communities, so on and so forth. But he mentions it has to warm the heart or the affections. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Um, And maybe this goes a little bit to what we talked about a moment ago, of people thinking theology is dry and boring in that it never gets to the heart of the affections. How should theology shape my affections and my desires, my heart? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I think on, on the one hand, just by the, the more we really know theology, the more we know what God says, we are just so overwhelmed what we might almost call the the fact that, you know, God is so interested in me that he's really covered every base. It's not like, you know, God got up this morning and he sees my life, I'm struggling, and he says, wow, I I didn't realize people would have that problem. Now let's see, what kind of, you know, uh, appendix could we throw onto the book here to add add a chapter that that would deal with that? Uh, God has, shall we say, thought through every, every one of these Things. And the more I, I read the Bible and study it, the more I am just overwhelmed with, uh, shall we say, the godness of God. Mm. And I say, what a great God who cares for me that much that, that he's interested in all these things that, that, are, are, that I deal with right down here on the carpet. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe like for an example, we, would, we could think of, say, something like uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology, mm-hmm. and... and you know, like like some writers would say, he's kind of the forgotten member of the Trinity. That yeah, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, you know, we can never see him, uh, etc. So so how do we know he's even real, etc. Well, when you when you study a doctrine like that and you see what uh, God has, should we say how how his, his job description that God has ordained for the Holy Spirit to do in our lives. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was very active um, in, in evangelizing us, like like Jesus himself said in, in John's Gospel, to convict us of our sin, etc., and then to give us the new life, to regenerate us, to, you know, at the moment we were saved, make us 
put us into the very body of Christ. And then you think of the things that the Holy Spirit is supposed to, or the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer, where he gifts us so that we have, uh, you know, we have these gifts so that we can serve other people. Uh, he also is the great encourager. He is the great teacher. And wow, you just, you know, I like to put a lot of things on a timeline, but you put, you put things like this on a timeline and you begin to realize how, wow, look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life today that I'm not even really aware of. It's not like every time something happens, I say, oh, well, that was the Holy Spirit and that was his job description, so sure, he should do it. But it's like, why, why did I make this choice? Why did I want to reach out and help somebody else? Why was I kind in this? And then as, I, as I'm reading the Bible, it's like, wow, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And as I have yielded to him, it, 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 it just got hold of me, if you will, and it, and it affected me. It, it dealt with me on this, on this uh, earthly level right here on the carpet so that I could, I could, really, I could really live it out. So it wasn't just a thought I had in my mind that, yeah, I'm studying theology at church, the class is over, okay, put the book away for two weeks, now I go home and I kind of do my own thing. It's this stuff that I'm learning in the mind gets hold of my of my will, my volition, where I say, I want this to be true of me, and then as I'm praying before I read the Bible in the morning, I'm saying, you know, okay, Holy Spirit, do your thing in my life today. Make me more like Jesus Christ. You you specifically said that that you want to develop certain certain fruit in my life, yeah. and so help me today to be more, you know, uh, joyful, loving, compassionate, uh, whatever it really is. Yeah. And and then we begin to see it translated to uh, to, to real life stuff. Yeah. And to uh, go back to uh, I keep going back to Tozer, but just. Um you speak so well into this idea of what we're talking about. He's talking about the loss of the concept of majesty, and he says, this loss of the concept of majesty has come just when the forces of religion are making dramatic gains and the churches are more prosperous than at any time with the past several hundred years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses wholly internal, and since it is the quality of our religion that is affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed gains are but losses spread over a wider field." And I would love to see um, the church come back. And as you mentioned before, you know, broad brushstroke, um, you know, you have to be careful of not caricaturing things um, too broadly. But I would love to see the church in America in general restored um, to just that that simplicity of loving the Word, of loving Christ. Um, you know, there is a danger, I think, in uh, sometimes we have this pastor as CEO model or pastor as mayor model, that certainly we recognize those um, qualities of pastor and, and administrative duties and things, but um, just to have a church that loves the Word, that loves God, that loves theology, uh, I think is is something that is becoming rarer today, and I hope that God, by His grace, continues to... Um, work in our hearts and, and others to stir up that affection and that love and warm our hearts, uh, really, in, in the fireplace of, of theology and who he is. So do you have any uh, last kind of comments or thoughts, Dr. Short, as we wrap this up today? 
No, I think I think your uh, your comments you just had there, you're you're hitting the the nail on the head. Okay. Um, where where yeah, it, it's the matter of a pastor wants to really be a pastor and shepherd the sheep, sure. and and you've got as, as people grow in their theological understanding, hopefully they will want a shepherd who really mm-hmm. is a shepherd, and not just a talk show host or an entertainer or something of the sort, but. They realize how how valuable it is to have a John Marino as a pastor. <laughs> yep. Well, thank How's you. How's that for buttering you up? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you don't cut that from the tape. Uh, your people need to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate everything, and and as we started off, I, I legitimately, you know, am, am grateful for you and your ministry uh, to me and and to many others. Um, it is especially in academic institutions, sometimes it can become dry and and boring. And as you said, that's not the fault of the Word. That's not the fault of God. It's our fault uh, for for not elevating and understanding it. But but I've just been impressed continually by your shepherding pastoral heart, even in the academic world, and your love for the Word. And so that's been encouragement to me uh, as well. So appreciate that so much. Well, thank you, and may the Lord uh, really bless uh, bless you and the Crossview family there as you uh, as you get into the uh, the great depths of the Word of God. Thanks for being with us today, Doctor Short. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.